like the wire is undeniable and at the get and you gotta remember the energy the texture of the wire all the actors were damn near brand new so we we're acting out of hunger we're acting out of passion we're acting out of like life-changing opportunity we're not acting like oh yeah i just signed on to this little season and you know whatever like we're not there's no there's no denzels on the wire you know what I'm saying? Now we have a, a new Denzel Idris elbow. Now we have new faces, right? But at the time, we fresh energy. You know what I'm saying? So the all I, I can always go back to this is the authenticity. Hi, I'm Kobe. And I'm Dave. And welcome to The Wire Strips. We are a podcast that goes through each episode of The Wire one by one. And you don't just hear from myself and Dave, you hear from some of the guys in the cast, some of the guys in the crew, and some of you guys too. Yes, uh, and if you want to get in touch or get involved in the show, you can do it at uh, The Wire Strip on all of our socials, Twitter, Instagram, or, or email us burner at thewirestrip.com, or you can leave a message on our burner and be in the show, and we'll give details on how to do that later on. Yeah, so without further ado, let's get to our conversation that we had earlier on this episode, 10 Misgivings. When you walk through the garden, you gotta watch your back. Well, I beg your pardon, walk the straight and narrow track. When you walk with Jesus, he's gonna save your soul. Just gotta keep the devil Way down in the hole He got the fire and the fuel Hi, Kobe. Hello. Hello. How are you? It's right. Hello, dear listeners. Yeah, it's cold here. We're, we're, we're currently camped uh, outside Marlowe's Marlo's yard. And you'd think he'd find a place indoors. <laughs> I'm sure he's got <laughs> enough money. He's got a decent car. I know. <laughs> but he he wants to survey his surroundings at he all does, times. He does. But then but then there's a lot of like um there's a downside to this this plan because there's a lot of um windows, right? And it's like Omar's just been camped up there for seemingly weeks on end just watching <laughs> him, right? There's a lot of windows, there's a lot Unawares. of places where people where police can leave cameras lying yeah, around. This is true. Uh I don't think he's thought it through. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> picked off from afar. It could be. Um what what we're gonna talk about this episode? Why don't we start with um, politics, just because I want to talk about Clay Davis. <laughs> we got a lot of Clay Davis in this episode. This is a tour de force, a masterclass of Clay Davis. Yes, that's exactly what we get here. We yeah. see Clay Davis in action, mm-hmm. speaking to all, greasing all the wheels, speaking to every party, trying off, seemingly offering them exactly what they want, being everyone's friend, and ultimately profiting <laughs> it's a, it is a masterclass you're right it's quite incredible i think but, i think everyone knows what clay's up to apart from, does does burrell know do you think i think burrell is smart enough to know that clay has an agenda but yeah. i think it it is also serving it's it's aiding burrell as well sure. so he's fine so with he's, it. he's fine with it yeah. well let's start off with the first the first scene then yeah so we've well, we've got uh Clay Davis meeting Burrell and you know it's it's clear they have an easy way about them they've clearly been old sort mm-hmm. of allies well I think Clay Davis pretends to be everyone's ally does, but, yeah. but clearly these two have a sort of a familiarity um, and then you know Clay, Clay Davis is telling him everything he wants to hear he can't get rid of you you know because uh, you've got the race card and all this um, and then later we see 
Davis uh, again with Carcetti and Norman Wilson, and I love uh, Norman Wilson pl- in the scene. brilliantly played by Reggie Cathy again. Yeah. Just the the <laughs> just the thin veneer of disdain <laughs> for this man. <laughs> like they he owes that they gave him a lot of money that got them nothing. Yeah, and here he is. Uh, 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 gilding the lily again and offering more, uh, e- even even more empty promises. Well, this way Clay just goes back and says, "I'm sorry about what I did before." Norman Norman says, "Are you going to pay us back?" And it's like, "No." <laughs> <laughs> and what is it? I mean, there's a girl. I didn't write down uh, um, Norman's line, but it's 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 something like he just get apologized for the short con while setting us up for the <laughs> long con. It's beautiful. It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I think yeah. Cause, Norman and Carcetti know exactly. I think they they knew when they were paying Clay off um, to, ahead of the election that more than likely he was playing. But what but they got, had to do it. Yeah, they had right? to do it because yeah. if they lost, it would have been big. Oh, we didn't pay this sucker off. Um, but now it's just like, oh, for fuck's sake. Well, that's what's so um, impressive about Clay Davis <laughs> is that there's no. In a way, he's he's in a way he's the most one of the most duplicitous characters, but he's also completely operating in the open. No, oh, yeah, yeah, right. As in, like nobody, it, like his motives are usually quite transparent. <laughs> you you can see him a mile coming, but kind of everyone needs him. He's positioned himself in such a way to be of benefit to everybody, but mostly of benefit to himself. Of course, I mean it is as you said, it's it is an absolute masterclass. <laughs> And the moment when he comes, you know, he comes out of um, uh, the council meeting, then he's straight on the phone back to Carcetti. Oh and my god! People, and it's just like it's it is it's a it's a thing of beauty. It's a symphony. Reg was just a really great actor. That was, um, and he left us way too soon. I was I was I was really shocked and really uh, I was I was saddened. This is Ernest Dickerson, a director on the Wire. A great actor. Uh, you know, I think we were going to see more great things from him. Uh, he was really just building up his uh, his uh, his uh, body of work, and uh, and now he's gone. But he was he was great to work with. Um, he had that great voice. You know, he uh, uh, had that great way of talking, and uh, and it was just like you know, he was just a fascinating character. My other favorite thing. Was was his first meeting with Burrell, um, where he 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 basically his advice to Burrell is like, you need to prove yourself right now, prove make yourself indis, ind, in, uh, in, indispensable, and Burrell's like, what exactly do you mean? And he says something like, you know, d- d- police shit, whatever it is <laughs> y'all do for a living. <laughs> I love that. But then that 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 one line kind of gets Burrell's wheels turning. Mm. And then we start seeing a lot of the, a lot of the shitty arrests we get. In we're back to the yeah you know, the juking the stats and the getting the numbers and the thing yeah. that the thing that Carcetti hated when he did his ride along. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Yeah. So that that's that's Burrell's idea of police work, which ironically is the opposite thing to what Carcetti wants to see. Right. So, so he's just shafting himself more and more. Yeah. I don't know if when when Clay said police shit, did he think that Burrell would come up with a better idea than that, or did he just think I, it doesn't matter after my job? I think I've done enough. <laughs> yeah, maybe to make sure I get I my benefit work from here this. Is done. Yeah, I think I'm I'm a bit disappointed that he didn't say police she. <laughs> 
missed opportunity. Shit, partner. All you gotta do is show Carcetti and everybody else that they already got the man for the job. They ain't got to look no further. The indispensable man. It was Royce holding you back, Urban. Now out from under, you shine. Clay, he's saying everything goes through Bill Ross. Any move I try to make... You're the commissioner, ain't you? You give an order, they gonna jump. Yeah, but Carcetti... What are you gonna do, fire you? He just showed you he don't have balls enough. <laughs> you just need to give Carcetti a little something. Make him start seeing you in a new light. Like what? Some kind of police shit, hell, I don't know. Something that looks good to Carcetti. So he can say it was his idea to keep you all along. I think it's a little bit of both. But you gotta find the charm. The biggest mistake would have been if I played the character and everybody hated me. Sheet, it's Isaiah Whitlock Jr., Clay Davis himself. I knew that. I knew that. And 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 then you because in life you can dis, when you're watching something, you can dismiss a guy if he's just corrupt and bad. You can dismiss that. What you can't dismiss is the charm and the love. I, I, so I set out to make everybody like this character. Uh, really, really like, I mean, it was very manipulative on my part, but it was like I said, if you really like the guy and you like the way he talks and the shit and everything like that, then you're not going to dismiss him. You're going to deal with him. And that's what I set out to do. And I thought in some ways I was very successful at that. Uh, just as a, from an actor's point of view. Um, I remember I did a, a play one time. This is going to sound so terrible, <clears throat> but I played this, uh, I sort of played this sort of pedophile. Well, I guess not a sort of pedophile. The guy was, but, uh, <clears throat> but I set out to make the audience like me because once you like the guy, you can't dismiss him as easily as you would like to. You know, you hear that word and you say, oh, God, you know, screw him, fuck him. I don't want to, you know, have anything to do with him. But, again, it was very manipulative on my part. I'm going to really make you like me and then really challenge what it is you feel as opposed to what it is I feel. And I felt the same with uh, Clay Davis. It's like, I'm going to really make you like me and you won't be able to dismiss me. And that's what happened. So Martin O'Malley, he was the mayor of Baltimore, and then he became the governor of Maryland. Excuse me, producer Tom here doing the intro on this one. This is podcaster, academic, and Baltimorean Andrew Johnston. He was this, I mean, he's O'Malley, this Irish-American Catholic, well-off, like, uh, smart Democrat who became the mayor of Baltimore. And, and it was like, oh, he's... You know, in this black city, like he's gonna he's gonna be the you know the white knight, the white savior, and then he moved up to Maryland, and then he ran for president in 2016, and was like the distant third choice behind uh, Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders, um, and he is, by all accounts, the most duplicitous snake in the grass, like ever. Uh, you know, if you look at the last, like, 
five or six mayors of the city of Baltimore, I think more than half of them get brought up on charges of either embezzlement or bribery or, like, uh, sexual harassment or something like that. And, like, Martin O'Malley didn't. You know? So, like, Martin O'Malley is like Clay Davis <laughs> in that way. But Carcetti is so clearly meant to be David's like I don't know he said it in interviews I'm sure but it's so obvious that David Simon is this Martin O'Malley motherfucker well I mean let's let's stick on that for a bit the these um these pointless raids because it pisses a lot of people off in the in the western doesn't it yes yeah no we and we see um well we see we see two bits from uh from Mello don't we we see him you know giving the orders yeah, and then and then everyone yeah, yeah. well it's kind of, yeah. you kind of get a mixed reaction from from the the troops on the front line yeah. right there's Dozerman's clearly like is excited <laughs> like he's like dog, Come on! dog on a leash Come on yeah Bust some heads and McNulty's rolling his eyes yeah um I, I mean I am loving McNulty this season it's it's not the proper hound dog McNulty but he's you see, he's even though he's, on, he's even though he's just walking the beat, quote unquote, just walking the beat. He's still got his smart head on in this. Yes, which which comes out in in this episode. Yeah, right? of course. Yeah, we get we actually get a lot of McNulty. We do in this episode, um, which is surprising because you know um, Dominic uh, uh, West wanted to take a bit of a back seat, right, for this for this season. Cause well, I mean, which he has done to some extent, but I think this this episode does foreground him a bit. And I guess if he. If he's going to hang out for an episode and set himself up, then this is this is a great one. And we and we see uh, we see him sort of uh, sarcastically. I, lo- I love it. He's, he sort of takes the piss out of his partner's first class police work, you know, ticket, <laughs> ticketing a car. Um, the one true, di- but oh, I love that. Oh, I love the writing here. It's beautiful when he talks about the the one true dictatorship left in in in, in America. The beat cop. Yes, you know, to, yeah, yeah, that's true. To spend your shift. You know, you can uh, you can. Um, uh, but but he ultimately puts his his partner Baker's time to good use, and this is what you're saying. This is this is what you were saying. This is the the old penalty shining is. through, like they crack a burglary, Brilliant. Uh, using using his wiles, and and I love that look when uh, they they bring the the um, their arrests to booking. Uh, and he just casually drops it. Oh, this one's a felony. <laughs> and the guy's like, "What? <laughs> a real it's, crime?" It's it's, it's it's particularly impressive in the middle of this. What we'll call it a crime wave or a busting wave, mm. where they're just busting people for bullshit. Yeah, for like open yeah. cans and stuff. You just think, yeah, there's there's better stuff to do, guys. Everyone knows there's better. Well, Burrell doesn't know there's better stuff to do, but everyone else knows this. Well, Kalicha doesn't know there's better stuff to do. But every, well, Herc doesn't know there's better stuff. To do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Most Carver sensible knows. people. Yeah, Carver knows. <laughs> yeah. The the other and the other the other interesting thing. Daniel's nose about that can the can you know the the restaurant the the can mm. being open in the brown paper bags and all that is you see the effect that that has on the community it's close well it's it's unjust mm-hmm. and pointless and stupid but you see it almost uh, in that scene with McNulty and Baker it's it's uh, about to um erupt kick into off, a yeah. riot yeah right it's unnecessarily kick off, yeah just to satisfy the whim of a of a corrupt police commissioner and this is this is again the wire at its finest mm-hmm. you know the um decisions being made to serve institutions and people at the top trickling down and not really benefiting anybody yeah you know how many cars you hit what don't even think of bullshit i don't know what you're talking about you're gonna talk about office walker oh we got it 
Um, I don't want to talk about him, but this guy he is one of the most he is. hateable characters on TV, right? I think I must have erased him from my mind um, after watching the season for the first time, like fifteen or so years ago, because I always said, and I, I'm sure I said it on this podcast, my two hate, most hated characters were Ziggy and <laughs> and uh, a character we'll meet in the in the um, in the journalist the journalist Scott. But I'd forgotten about Officer He's Walker. Easily hateable, yeah. And I'd forgotten about this guy that's giving bubble shit. Um, although he doesn't really have a name, but Officer Walker really has. He's he's not hissable. He's hit, he's hittable, definitely. <sighs> he's just the worst. He is. How old? How how old well, is Na- How old is sorry? Not Naaman. How old is Donut? Like thirteen, fourteen I years know. old. No, he's a baby. He's a baby, and I know he's breaking the law and you know causing damage. Causing damage, but it's. The the response is not proportional no. like that, and that scene where he um, he breaks his finger it's vicious it's vicious it it is torture um, it is the kind of police br- it's police beyond police brutality mm. it is police you know um, violence at an indescribable level it's it's to a child and he but he gets away with it. Yeah, right. well, I, I, that leans back to what you're saying about McNulty telling uh, McNulty talking about it being the last di- true dictatorship. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's, yeah, you're right. Oh my god, I hadn't thought about that. They're they're completely connected. Mm. We're seeing the you know uh, a dictator can be benevolent or a dictator can be malevolent. Malevolent. Yeah, and we know which side Officer Walker's on. You know what kind of fucking paperwork I got now? Huh? You know me hours of my life, you ah. owe me, you little shit? Damn, yo, that hurt. You think that hurts? <laughs> no, no, I, ah, ah. <laughs> You're so smart. Let's see how easy you boost the car now. Ah. 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 To be in that scene, when I, all right, so when I was filming it, you don't really understand, right? You're so young, you don't really grasp you, you, you. When you're so young, you don't. You, you're just a little piece of the puzzle, right? This is the voice of Nathan Corbett, who played Donut. You don't under, You don't. You don't know to step back and look at yourself and look at the bigger part of what you are, right? So being young and being a kid and filming that show and filming that part specifically was. It was a fun. It was fun. It was a great time. I wasn't uncomfortable. You know, uh, Officer Walker, in person, he's an awesome person, right? He's a really, really great person. And so um, to see him transform like that is just, like, amazing, right? And it speaks to him, like I say, his character as well. And um, But, yeah, man, shooting that, shooting that part was just – that whole day of filming just was so fun to me. But it, looking back at it now, it's like – it really spoke volumes on, hey, look at what's going on, look at what's happening, and to be a part of to be a part of that, you know, to be a part of a time where writers spoke out, right, and producers spoke out against these travesties that are happening to the inner city kids, right, and it's just like it needs it's a problem and it, and it needs to be fixed, and I'm just so thankful that I was able to be in that to play a part in that role to be able to show the world what's happening to reveal a curtain 
that, you know, to show the wizard, to show the guy that's sitting behind, you know, the wizard of us, like, no, look at what's really happening. Address this. Talk about this, right? And so it's dope to be able to play that role, you know. Because like I said, yeah, Donut may have stole cars, but it goes to show you, it makes you choose a side, right? It makes you pick, right? It makes you say, okay, he fucked up. But I mean, did he deserve that? No, you're telling me that's okay? Now you have to pick a side. It's not just that you you are the direct target yourself. It's that you hear about these stories, right? And the reputation of these officers. And that undermines the rule of law and the credibility and the leg legitimacy of law enforcement as an institution. This is Kristen Henning. She's the director of the Georgetown Juvenile Justice Initiative. And she's also the author of Rage of Innocence, How America Criminalizes Black Youth. Especially if those officers are, are, are quote unquote winning points, right? Adding numbers on the on the wall, meaning numbers of arrests, right? Um, and that their brute strategies are achieving the politically um, uh, saliable, you know, I guess I say politically salient goals. <laughs> um, then they like those and they tolerate that, right? Hey Kobe, this is Noaz from the United States. Season 2 is my fa favorite season, but season 4 is my second favorite season. I love how it discusses themes of growth. You see characters like Prez who have grown a lot, and Carver as well. You see characters who aren't, aren't given the opportunity to really grow, like Randy. And you see characters like Naaman who when they are given the opportunity, they run with it and make a big change in their lives. Okay, thank you very much for that burner message. If you want to leave your own burner message, uh, 30 seconds or less, then do so at uh, WhatsApp. Uh, at this very number. Take it away, Prez. Plus four, four, seven, five, three, four, eight, three, one, six, five, eight. Our number. So that number again, it's plus four, four, seven, five, three, four, eight, three, one, six, Five eight, or it's up on our social channels at the wire stripped if you want to copy and paste it from there uh, or just email us your voicemail to burner at the .com. thank you very much to joe kiley our frequent contributor for getting prez to uh, record that for us um if you do want to hear more from us get more information from us and help a fantastic charity then go and join us at patreon.com forward slash the wire stripped you get exclusive content there, you get things before anyone else, uh, and also you get some goodies such as stickers, if they're, depending on the level you joined. Um, of course, all the money, as you've probably heard before, goes to the Ella Thompson Fund, which is a fantastic charity in Baltimore, which is set up to help underprivileged kids, and you know we couldn't be more pleased that we happen to support them. Well, the other good, uh, the other good scene we get in the Western Districts is um, Carver picking up Naaman, mm. right? And he's, Naaman's had his warning. And so Carver's true to his word, much like Omar. And he he takes him in, he takes him in to book him. But I think we see this, this all plays out in a really interesting way because Carver's kind of like harsh but fair, right? And he, and Naaman is, for all his faults, 
he is kind of just a puppy dog, isn't he? Like you just f- you bleed your heart. It's like Cutty says, he's got he's got wee bay's blood, but none of his heart. Exactly, he's not fit for. It's not he doesn't fit for the corners. Fit for the corners. He's afraid. He's scared mm-hmm. um, to go to um, baby booking, as they call it. Yeah, yeah. Look at this, like, um, and carve his heart bleeds as well and so he lets him sleep on the bench until his, and this is again this is an indication of an institution failing um, the the people it's supposed to protect in in Naaman's mother right that's she she is um, that's the first authority figure that we all experience yeah and she is not only there not there when she is she, when he needs her she chastises him for for not going to baby booking. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> For not being the idea of um, the the idea that of a of a man that she wants him to be. Right, you know. We talked to uh, Sandy McRae, and she. A lot of people hate her. I know we've talked, and I, you know, I've talked again this episode about the people I hate. I don't hate Sandy McRae. I think she's, I think she's a fantastic, interesting character who's like kind of fighting. You mean the, you don't hate Delanda? Sorry, yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah, just to be clear, Kobe doesn't hate Sandy McRae. No, I don't. <laughs> I don't hate Sandy McRae. Sandy McRae, I love you. She's fantastic. Thank you very much for being on the show. Um, I don't hate Delonda. I know a lot of people do, but and I love when um, she just kind of sitting there. She's there in her fur suits, in her fur jacket, minding her own business. She probably hasn't even thought too. She hasn't even thought about where name has been, and suddenly she he comes back with a random guy who's taking care of her son. And he has a go at him for not go to prison. Why can't you face prison? Why can't you take prison for one night? What's the matter with you? Yeah. He's like, it's just, I, I don't I don't know why I don't hate him. I just find it fascinating. I find her enthralling. I find her funny as well. She's quite funny. Yeah. Yeah. But she is, she is an awful person. <laughs> I, don't, I don't, I don't, I mean. You're not a fan. She's sure. also rude to Bunny Colvin and that is unforgivable. Also, this man like took in, I mean, well, she has no idea because she's not interested mm. in, in how much that man is doing for her son. No, no, not at all. Right. She, but she doesn't even, she's like not aware of him. She's not interested. It's just like all she, well, she's kind of just using her son as a, um, as an income, a source for future income, it kind of feels like that as well. It feels a bit calculated. Yeah, lining her own pockets yeah. with yeah. with name, so she can just shopping. <laughs> hey, ma, how's New York? I was about to lose it. Hey, Miss Bryce, how are you? Who asking? I would have whipped him out on that porch if I didn't think they were gonna call six nine six kids on me. Why he here? You in trouble? You stayed at our house last night. I mean, you being in New York and all. It was just in the moment, but you see a kid who, I mean, he was screaming for attention. You are listening to the beating heart of The Wire. It's Robert Wisdom, Bunny Colvin. When I went to the mom's house, went to his house, and his mom shouted out, what, you scared of baby booking? And I can get her for you. She's bomb, Sandy. Lord, you know, so when she came, I said, you scared of baby, but get in here, boy, you know, and uh, you saw him shrink and you saw that how we shape manhood in the hood in such an empty way sometimes, you know, uh, can you stand up to the man or in the worst cases, can you kill somebody or blah, 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 those kinds of, and, and when I saw him shrink, 
before he was just trying to live a life that was satisfied the distorted kind of picture that his parents had created for him of you know how to survive in the hood but he didn't have the stuff to do it interesting you know um all of these terms are, are different regionally um so so what i gather you know in baltimore this notion of baby booking is is equivalent to like the scared straight like look we're gonna we're gonna book him so he can learn that lesson and, and what's really really sad about Naaman's case it's his mother you know who tells the officer hey you, you you need to baby book him and but the her point is this right her point is not scaring him straight so that he doesn't you know commit more crime but scaring him straight so he can be a better drug dealer. Like she's trying to push him into the drug trade because, you know, her husband, i.e. Naaman's uh, father, uh, Weebay, has gone to prison. She, the, um, uh, uh, Naaman and his mother had been taken care of um, for a while, but then he got cut off. The family got cut off from the financial flow, right? And so um, Naaman's mother, Delanda, wants Naaman to step up um, and and like take over the you know Weebay's trade. And he's just not good at it. This is what we were talking about earlier. He's just not a good corner boy. Um, he's not a good dealer. And so she wants to use baby booking, booking. I'm sorry, to teach him a lesson <laughs> about look, I need you to stay out of here, you know, so you can, you know, you can do this right. But I think, you know, in, in, um, in other places, it's equivalent to this notion of scared straight, right? That we think by putting kids in, in jail, that we're going to, um, uh, you know, steer them away from a life of crime. And the research shows that these are just, you know, woefully um, uh, ill-advised strategies. Um, it ignores everything we know about adolescent development. So many children don't engage in delinquent and criminal behavior um, out of some rational choice, <laughs> right? Um, weighing of the pros and the cons, but instead kids, you know, engage in poor decision-making. They have, you know, poor impulse control, um, you know, they don't think ahead to the long-term consequences, all the things that we've been talking about so far. That's why kids commit crime. And you're not going to throw somebody in jail and like, you know, um, uh, uh, punish them out of being an adolescent. They have to naturally grow and evolve. Their brain has to develop. Um, and so the, these strategies don't work. Also, the, the research shows that these sort of scared, straight baby booking programs um, actually increase crime instead of reducing crime. <sighs> Cops picked me up saying I was slinging. They was going to send me to baby booking. But we took him in. You leave my son the fuck alone. And you, you afraid to go to baby booking? The fuck is wrong with you, boy? Get in that damn house. I love the way Bernie took him in. And oh, it's lovely, isn't it? And his wife took him in. And his wife was like, I thought you were one of the bad guys. And you can, yeah, this is we see more and more chipping away at this kind of exterior that Naaman's trying to trying to exude, but no one is not really falling. What well, it's not falling Bunny's wife. It's not falling Bunny's wife at all. He's just a sweet kid, isn't he? Is. He he's really is at the core of it all. Like he's he's sweet and kind of charming and kind of kind of witty. And I really enjoy um, the Bunny and Naaman sort of uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, combo. That's an interesting story that kind of pans out over the next few, or the next season in particular. Yeah. Um, and I love the way it was It, it was in The Wire that taught me what a la mode meant. Um, oh, really? Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know what it was. Why can't you just say with ice cream? <laughs> I think it's 
equally as uh, many. Classy as fuck. No, not, yeah, exactly. Producer Tom jumping in here. I'm not sure if these two humps think a la mode means with ice cream or not. Definitely doesn't. It definitely means like up to date. Anyway, yeah, back to the humps. Mm, that was delicious. <laughs> There's more. Uh, no, ma'am. Save room for the cobbler. <laughs> a la mode? Uh huh. Would you like ice cream on it? Oh, oh yes, ma'am. <laughs> nice manners. From what you told me on the phone, Bunny, I was expecting more of an adventure. Herc told a lie to Marimo a few few episodes back about who Fuzzy Dunlop is and why Fuzzy Dunlop and, and, and the camera. And there's a lot of nonsense going around and Herc is trying to cover his tracks <laughs> and he can't because he's not that smart. Um, so he thinks, I know, I'll, I'll reach out to my old pal Bubbles who I've not helped out and gives him some chicken. Yeah, he he arrives with, but he, but he plays this so badly. He arrives with a conciliatory gesture, mm. right? You know, as, um, but then instantly asks him for something. Yeah, and that is not how you play no. anything, right? If you want a favor <laughs> from someone that you've just fucked over, you don't show up with chocolates and then be like, "By the way, I need another favor." Yeah, just, it's <laughs> just like no, the chocolates, the chicken should have been. Here's the chicken. I'm so sorry, Bubs. Let me help you with your problem. Mm-hmm. And then you build up to it. But yeah, Herc has no sense yeah, of Yeah, maybe we'll come back tomorrow. Yeah. Oh, this... Actually, now I've caught up with your bubbles. <laughs> now that we're good again, yeah. here's the next thing, now that I've proven that I'm sorry. But no. Herc is just... He's got no tact, man. No. He's straight in there. No. Here's some chicken. I need to find this camera. But he's just like... it's just He's just using bubbles. Anyway. Bubbles gets his own back in this episode. <laughs> in, in one of the wires... Most justified. Oh my moments. lord! Uh, this is bubbles at his best. Um, yes, right, because we haven't seen scheming bubbles in quite a while. We haven't seen scheming bubbles. He's been he's gone straight and narrow, man. He's just selling his whiteies. He's got a yeah. legitimate business going. He's just trying to stay a, becoming a sort of uncle figure. Yeah, he's just trying to stay clean and yeah. hopefully with with Herc's help, which is not forthcoming. So it's like fuck him. I'm gonna fr- I'm yeah, gonna fr- Herc deserves it. So, for a yeah. reminder for 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 everyone who might not remember, um, Bubbles sees an opportunity because he is a smart guy. Um, <laughs> he doesn't quite get well. Well, I think he kind of f's a few people over because he felt. He f- I think he felt like a bit um, trodden upon by people coming out of the church, and he got kind of ignored by the Reverend. After yeah, saying, the- after saying good good evening, Reverend, or something. So so Bubbles decides on the spot to uh, this reverend who who has just slighted him ever so slightly. He calls in that that reverend's um, license plate to Herc um, as a drug dealer, like yeah. a drug tip off, and Herc is delighted. So they absolutely <laughs> bust bust this guy. Naturally, is heavy handed and over the top. Um, and you just know this is a bad move. Whatever was going well in his career. Uh, beforehand is now in jeopardy. It's just the way he does it with such glee as well. Just tosses tosses Reverend out of the car. Obviously, he thinks it's a fake Reverend, or he doesn't think he thinks Reverend is a drug dealer. Whoever's in that car has is got a bunch of drugs on him. Tosses him out. To, goes through a load of files. N- no drugs there. Then picks out a briefcase. He goes, "Huh? Yeah, yeah. What's this? Huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and inside is a Bible. And like, what's the matter with you? There's, if you want to." I know you want to stop and search and get your drugs, but also 
just check inside the briefcase for a second I know, before right? like, yeah. posturing. Yeah. Oh, mate. Uh, well, look, this is karma. This is comeuppance. <laughs> it's at its best, and we love it. Um, and yeah, absolutely. It is funny. It is funny. And, you know, Herc knows it's Well, Dom Lobadozzi knows it's funny. He's, he's in on the yeah. joke here. So what's going on on the streets and with with Marlowe's guys in particular? Well, little Kev. Little Kev is out after being pulled in yeah. by Herc. He's had enough M&Ms, I guess. That is free M&Ms. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, what I love about that, not to go back to the last episode, but just like the power dynamic in that room was it solely sat with Kevin. It was. Right? <laughs> <laughs> he was so it cool. should have been hurt, but it wasn't. <laughs> um, but um, Kevin is back and kind of, you know, reports back to Bodhi and Poot kind of what happened, what they were looking for. And Bodhi gives him some advice, which proves to be fatal, mm. um, but advises him to get ahead of it. Um, and let Marlow know what happened, what he said, um, and prove to him that he didn't snitch and that he wasn't an informant, right? Which, to be fair, seem, I think it does seem like good advice. It seems it seems fair, because um, I think whichever way you spin it, Kevin's going to get got in this episode. Um, well, it wouldn't be, maybe in like yeah. two episodes down the line, but he's just gone. Well, you're right, it's an impossible, because yeah. if he didn't go in, Bodhi is probably right, he would look like he informed, yeah. snitched, but he goes in. And I think this is where um, Marlowe operates at a, at a Marlowe has no, you know, he's not Omar and he's not the Barksdales no. he doesn't operate out of loyalty or a code he is a shark right he is just <laughs> clinical and I'm, and he assesses the situation and sees it as uh, he he may have informed or he, he basically it's easier for him to just get rid of little Kev yeah right oh yeah yeah absolutely it's collateral damage and and he's got his set up with the vacants oh it's just kill so a guy for him yeah Pop him in there. Yeah, off you go. And Chris and Snoop are kind of operating on the same level, right? They're mm. just like, they're they're all so ruthless and efficient. Um, and I think that's what you get an interesting... So poor little Kev gets taken away in what... My heart was breaking watching that door close. And Slim Charles catches a glimpse of it and informs Bodie. And that's how that gets back to, to Bodie. And, and my, my heart also broke for Bodie when he realises... One of his boys is gone. What's happened? And there's this amazing slow zoom shot away as that news is sinking in, which is a beautiful touch. But the um, there's a really, for me, one of the most interesting bits in this episode was um, Bodhi and Poot talking about this. Um, and then Poot kind of draws the parallel between Marlowe ordering little Kev to be shot and Stringer Bell ordering Wallace to be shot. Mm. He kind of says, like, well, what's the difference? Right? And Poot does not care. <laughs> well, yeah, Poot, it also shows his Poot's... <laughs> Poot's kind of cold as well. We killed a guy. That was, wasn't that fun, right? <laughs> <laughs> we killed a kid. Well, he sees it as, rightly so, in, in some ways, he sees it as this is business. He's making, you know, yeah. Poot, is, Poot is acknowledging that this is there's some, a calculated is decision game. was made as part of the game. Mm. But Bodhi is longing for that, and again, and again, if you look at P- Bodhi and Poot, a bit like um, Avon and Stringer, mm. 
they're two sides of the coin. You've got the the loyal, the heart and the and the brain. Yeah. Right. And you know loyalty and honor and um, money and efficiency and um, organizational structure, and that is a really interesting sort of dynamic on the streets that that kind of clashes a lot. Um, and Bodhi is definitely on the 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 heart side of it, you know, and 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 I think it's just another sign that he can't exist in Marlowe's world because he did not anticipate this. Yeah. But speaking of cold, efficient killers, mm. we see Chris and Snoop in action here, and actually the sort of the shark and the cold efficientness sort of slipped for a minute with with chris yeah the 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 cover the cover slipped absolutely and this is really is the probably most violent scene in the wire that i can remember this is horrible horrible beatdown yeah Uh, for for um for reference everyone we're 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 referring to chris and snoop taking out bug's father as per michael's wishes but yeah, yeah, yeah. Re- in- incredibly violent. And the insinuation is that Chris has experienced some form of abuse, or can relate to the form of abuse that he's that um, that Michael is concerned about with Bug's father. And I mean, that can that if he has experienced that kind of abuse, and is holding it back in a repressed manner, then someone like that is, in his mind, a just target for fury that, that he's been yeah. holding back for p- presumably years i get a sense like it's quite clear when chris and snoop take out michael's i guess we'll say stepfather would be a, a reasonable assumption about what's going on in that situation we know that clearly chris was abused as a child because of the 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 brutality of the of the violence rather than you know, even Snoop comments like, damn, like you really mess that guy up instead of just popping him like you do everyone else. I got the sense on this most recent watch that maybe part of what Marlowe sees in Mike is he too might have been abused as a kid. And there is this like, yeah, he sees a little, because he definitely sees himself in Michael. You know, that's definitely the connection he's picking up. And and I wonder, there's a couple things that we think, oh, maybe that's subtly hinted, not as overtly hinted as it is with Chris. But it also goes some way to explain, you know, what we were saying earlier about this whole, how cold Marlowe and Chris and Snoop can be. Mm. Like, it goes some way to explaining how he got to that position where violence doesn't matter to him. Yeah, he's, he's he's empty and dead inside. Really. It ain't no thing. And he 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 briefly comes alive for a minute, like you see emotion in Chris, mm-hmm. which we haven't really experienced. Absolutely today. not. Yeah, true. And I think what's really scary for me is the show is deliberately um, making Chris giving Chris and Michael similarities mm. right chris is is a future version of michael and michael is chris's past and there's a moment in 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 this episode where michael's in his home with bug and he's more comfortable in his own skin so you know he is you know he's 
it's a victory for him in a way and you know his mom is looking for the for um bug's father and he confidently says you know he's not coming back and he's drinking out of the milk carton directly which really bothered me by the way but uh, <laughs> again a sign a sign of overt confidence but there's also a cool there's he there's a coolness to him and, a, and a, it, it he chilled me to the bone a bit in this scene and it's again it's he's on that path to becoming chris already I think the thing that chilled me most was the fact that Snoop seemed mortified by what, what Chris is doing. <laughs> yeah. Great cinematographer Gordon Willis used to call the dump truck school of directing, where you just shoot everything you can think of and let the editor put that together. This is Ernest Dickerson again. To me, that's not directing. You know, directing, you're being very selective and you're only showing, you're only shooting what you need. You don't shoot everything you can think of and let somebody else put it together later on. That's letting the editor be the director. So, but I love the fact that The Wire was letting filmmakers be filmmakers and shoot the show like many movies. That's the way I always approached it. And the scripts were just so good. I knew the, I knew it was a great show. We knew that we were just being discriminated against by the network because we were a largely black show. You know, that was, we knew what that was the deal. You know, the big question. Okay, is there going to be another season? We really wanted David to have, to see his five season plan, you know, go all the way through. And ultimately it did. But it was tough going for a little while. Right, that's it for us for this week. Uh, next week, we're going to be back to chat about episode 11. It's called A New Day. But in the meantime, uh, we would all like to thank, once again, Sam and Martin from the Song by Song podcast for their genius rendition of Tom Waits' Way Down in the Hole. Yeah, thank you also to Michael Balistreri, a.k.a. Black Snow Comics, uh, on Instagram uh, for the images of the four boys that you can see right now as you're watching, as you're watching, uh, which you can see right now in your podcast app. And thanks, as always, to uh, fact checker, exec producer, editor, and all-round nice guy, Tom Wally. Thanks, as always, to uh, our producer, Obi Joshua, um, who makes sure that all these episodes come out in a reasonable time. Without him, genuinely, I don't know when they, when these would come out. I think there would be some point in the next millennium. <laughs> yeah. Um, the year 3000, busted style. Yeah. Um, and, and thank you to uh, Sonics, uh, who provide our transcription software. And uh, if you want to get 100 free minutes of transcription with them, go to Sonics, uh, S-O-N-I-X, uh, dot A-I, forward slash invite forward slash stripped all right thank you very much guys and we'll see you for the next episode bye you just heard a stripped media production 